That's a great song for us in our study for prayer. Also a great song for everybody going out to children's worship. I know that our workers for that were saying, oh, I need you, Lord. You know, as this flood of children is going out with them. I know I've said that some this week. I love a good magician. You like a good magician? And when I was growing up, I used to love when uh, David Copperfield would have like a special on TV. And I know this is kind of a generational thing, but you guys remember when David Copperfield had like the special and he was going to like make the, the Statue of Liberty disappear live on TV. You remember this? Which was really amazing. But I, I went to New York a couple of years ago and it was still there. Um, disappointingly to me. I mean, I'll, I'm glad it's there, but it's uh, uh, it, the illusion was a little bit broken for me. I love the way that a skilled illusionist can uh, take my imagination and make it seem like they are able to do things which are absolutely impossible. You know, like making the Statue of Liberty disappear. Or maybe those great illusionists from the 90s uh, who uh, had perfected what looked like to be the ultimate illusion, control over some of nature's most powerful creatures. You guys fans of Siegfried and Roy? No? Siegfried and Roy were like crazy flashy, these wild, wild characters who had this magic show in which they would have multiple tigers, these huge white tigers. These things weigh like half a ton, and they would have them so well trained that it made them seem like they just wanted to be part of the magic show, like they were just like big, cuddly teddy bear sorts of things, as docile as the stuffed tiger that my daughter has on her bed. Of course, it was all an illusion, right? As America found out in 2003, when a giant cat named Manticore decided he wasn't going to play along with the illusion anymore, and in front of a live audience, decided to drag Roy Horn off the stage by his neck, Snap, snapping his spinal cord, disabling him for the rest of his life. Who's in charge now? It was all just an act, an illusion, a way of, making the audience think that they were in complete control. But in a moment, the illusion vanished. And it was revealed that what was a carefully planned act was actually a very, very dangerous game. We all are illusionists. Not 
maybe as flamboyant as Siegfried and Roy in the way that they would try to portray themselves as masters of these giant cats, and maybe not in the same way that David Copperfield would try to make us believe that the Statue of Liberty was disappearing at his will, but rather in the way that we choose to portray ourselves, offering to the world not a authentic picture of who we truly are, but a carefully crafted image that is meant to establish control, that's meant to allow us to control how other people will perceive us and thus how they'll act towards us and thus the kind of environment and world that we live in. If you can put on the right kind of illusion and get people to respond to your illusion, you can have a lot of control in the room. You can manage some sense of control in your life. And there are so many of us that are so desperate for any sense of control that we will use whatever illusion we can to try to just get a little bit of it. We think about the world right now and it's carefully crafted illusions. The way that the social media universe teaches us to portray ourselves in such a way that maybe we can get enough people to hit the like button. Maybe we can cause other people to think about us in terms of this illusion. There's an app, you guys, uh, I, mean, I, I know that you're all really savvy. My favorite of the social media apps right now is called Be Real. You guys like the Be Real? Are you like, kid? come on kids, I know you like the Be Real. Are you moved on? You moved on? Camille says it's over. Okay, it's over, okay. I love the Be Real, here's the deal. Here's the way it works. Please don't, when I talk about apps, don't go home and download them all, please don't do that. It's this app, you get a notification some random time of the day, you get two minutes to just take a picture of whatever it is you're doing right then. And the idea is that if you don't have time to carefully craft it and you don't have time to set up a scene and you don't have time to stage it right, then you'll be forced to show the real you, right? Not the fake one that the Instagram gets, but the real you. Two minutes and you would be astonished and how much preparation you can get done in two minutes. It didn't take any time at long for uh, any time at all for people to realize that you could manipulate the imagery, the images on be real just as surely as you could the others. You just had to learn how to play the game. And we are as people so good at playing the game. Like a convention of magicians. We can out illusion each other at any moment. Showing just the parts of ourselves that we will for other people to see. And I don't think I have to tell you how dangerous of a habit that is 
or relationships between people. I don't think I have to draw for you a picture of how dangerous a habit that is to take to God in prayer. When we come to God, our illusions are one of the greatest barriers that we have. The sense that we have that when we come to God, just like when we come to anybody else, we need to dress it up just so, so that we can allow God to see this perfect kind of image. This is such our habit in the way that we live in the world that it becomes too natural for us to pray in the same way, not showing our authentic and true selves, but maintaining the illusion, maintaining the mask. But I want to tell you that as appealing as that option is for us, I want to tell you that the message of the gospel, the gospel invites us to lay down our illusions before God. And what I want to say to you today that is part of the gospel is that in Jesus, God welcomes you into his presence and you can lay down the mask. You don't have to play that game anymore. You can come freely to God without the illusion. And isn't that good news? In Jesus, in the gospel, we find that our illusions become useless before God. Because the very worst of who we are or who we might be has all been dealt with in the cross of Jesus. In the cross of Jesus, God says, there is no pretending. I'm not going to act like everybody has it all together. If everybody already had it together, what need for the cross of Jesus? And yet, in the cross we find that even though we are sinners... God still reaches out to us and embraces us and calls us to himself in our sin. Even with our sin, Jesus calls us to himself, offers us grace and forgiveness and says, come, come to me. And you don't need the illusions anymore. The gospel invites us to come to God and to lay down our illusions. And we do not need our illusions in prayer. Now, that idea that we don't need our illusions in prayer, I think, is a message of great forgiveness, a great, a great freedom, a grace for us. And isn't it a gift? Don't you long to have one place in this world where you can just go and be you? Don't we all long for that space in which we can be known as ourselves and loved as ourselves? That's the intimacy of love that we desire so much. And prayer can be exactly that space. And it's a great gift to us. 
The Psalms know this. The Psalms all throughout uh, are seem to be fully aware that there is no place for illusion in them. They're not polite. They're contained. I've never heard anybody in my life pray ruder than the Psalms are. Okay. They say things that you say, well, I don't know. If I'm, I mean, y'all, there are Psalms that I feel embarrassed to read in church. It's true. But they pray that way because they know that coming to God with illusions is just a game and it does us no good. Turn with me to Psalm 139. And I want to read a few verses of this psalm before we go further. This is what the psalmist knows about God. And I think it teaches us something about prayer. Psalm 139. Oh, Lord. You have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, you know when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue. Oh Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. Oh, where could I go from your spirit? Where could I flee from your presence? You hear the voice of the psalmist saying, when I come to God, I come to the one who knows me inside and out. All the way through, there is no illusion before God in prayer. Sometimes I worry that when we talk about prayer, when we have times like what we're doing right now, where we emphasize prayer, that we're kind of laying something extra on, that we're kind of laying on an extra burden of people that already feel too much guilt and too much shame and too inadequate in the world. And so we say, pray, you need to pray more, pray more, pray more, pray more. Some of you guys feel like that? Okay, you don't have to say that out loud. And I know some of you feel like that. Oh man, it's like one more thing that I'm not doing well enough. And I want to tell you that prayer is not this extra bit of spirituality that you need to just umph yourself into and get a little bit more out of and do a little bit better and do more of. Prayer is not that space where we're asking you to do more good stuff so that you'll earn more good stuff from God. That's not what prayer is. Prayer is a space that you are invited to come in and join God as a gift space for you to be with God that is meant to be life-giving, not an extra task that's meant to be added onto your plate. It's a space where God is saying, look, I know you. Fully into the depths of your bones. Come be with me for a while. Come be with me for a while in the space where you are fully 
known and freely loved. In order to do that, I think we have to come to an understanding that God wants to meet us in prayer. God wants to meet you in prayer. Not some contrived you, not some put on you, not some made up and masked up you. God simply wants to be with you. Can you believe it? God wants to see and to know and to hold you in the moment of prayer. It is not just an obligation. It's an invitation for your presence. I wonder what you hear when I say God wants to meet you in prayer. If our rush is to perform some sort of prayer obligation to figure out how we can do it the right way. I'm so hesitant when we teach about prayer, okay, because I feel like we need to, we need to talk about it. We need to work on it as a community, but I don't want it all to give the impression that what we're trying to do is straighten out everybody who's praying wrong and teach you to pray right. As long as we think about it in terms of something we do wrong or right, we're just creating more of a barrier. God doesn't want some perfectly performed ritual of prayer from you. He just wants you. God wants you. He wants to meet you in prayer. He wants to share that space and be with you. Cody, where is he? Is he still in here? Man, I love that you brought your son up to pray this morning. I love that. Because I want, I want this to be a place where the prayers that are said at the microphone don't have to be works of art crafted to create certain kinds of illusions. I think it's good for us sometimes to hear the words of a small child simply saying, God be with us. Isn't that good? Love that. When God wants to meet you in prayer, if we get that in our bones, then why do we feel the need to come and pray like somebody else? God calls me to prayer and he's not calling me to perform some perfect impression. I'm not an impressionist before God crafting an illusion of this is the person that I'm supposed to be. I hope I can pull it off well enough so that God will receive it. When God calls me into prayer, what does he expect to see? He expects to see me, Stephen, praying like Stephen. And God wishes to call you into prayer, not so he can hear you do your best Stephen impersonation. Not so that he can hear you sounding like 
some performative prayer that you've heard before. God wants to hear your voice in prayer. And he knows what that voice sounds like. He knows everything that's behind that voice, everything that's in your thoughts and in your heart and in your history and in your future. And God knows all of that and welcomes you into the space. Nonetheless, there's a, 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 a writer um, and Aaron Brogdon sent me this book this last last week uh, by a guy named uh, Joseph Latondre. And it's called When You Pray, A Practical Guide to Orthodox Life of Prayer. And it's a very, it's a very, very short book. I love this book. And he says this, he's talking about like how people have, some sites have a distorted view of what they should do in prayer because the books on prayer come from people like monks who spend their whole lives praying in their, you know, in their monkish cells and habitats. He says, no matter how many books about monks and monasticism we read, the fact is we cannot pray like monks unless we are monks. Mothers of young children must pray like mothers of young children. Factory managers with eight-hour jobs and two-hour commutes must pray like factory managers with eight-hour jobs and two-hour commutes. How much time we can spend praying and when we can pray are determined by the circumstances of our lives as much as they are for the monks and the nuns and the bishops and the hermits. And that can change from day to day. A mother who has stayed up all night nursing a sick child will not be able to pray much, if at all, when the time for morning prayer comes. But she need not worry. She has already kept an all-night vigil. I love that. It's in a chapter called Pray As You Can, Not As You Can't. And the idea is to recognize that our season of life and who we are and the things that we are encountering, the, the kind of things that make up our life, shape us for certain kinds of prayers. And sometimes that may look one way and that, sometimes that may look another way. And as long as we think that we can only come to God with the illusion of what we think prayer should be like, the effect is it will eventually keep you from praying. Because you'll get tired of having one more place where you need to have the illusion of. So the invitation is come. Come as you are. And be yourself. And you know what? If that means that your time with God is 30 seconds as you are rushing out the door, then that means it's 30 seconds as you're rushing out the door. And if your coming to God is a coming full of frustration and even anger, then it's a coming to God with frustration and anger. Do we think God doesn't see it anyways? And if our praying is a prayer of grace and full heart of gratitude, then so be it. But let us come freely to God, even when it isn't that. Let us come freely to God, trusting that he wants us to meet him in prayer just as we truly are. Without need of pretense or illusion. 
or any other kind of mask. Today, as we think about prayer, I want you to hear that we meet God in prayer, not in terms of the things that we have accomplished or the righteousness that we have mustered up. But like we're hearing in our Romans classes, we come to God on the terms of the cross of Jesus freely by his grace and he welcomes us because of his great and powerful love for us. Let our prayers be full of the humility and the confidence of love, being willing to say, this is who we are. May God be praised that he loves us in all of it. I want to end today using the first line of Psalm 139 as a sort of prayer exercise today. And what I want us to do, um, I've highlighted the second line of this. I want us to spend some time in prayer using these two lines as a way of framing our prayer. I want us to just have some time of reflection on different parts of our lives. I want to give you kind of a cue, and then I want us to spend a little bit of time just being before God with that. Um, and then as we kind of end each section, we're going to do this four times. As we end each section, I'll say this first line, you have searched me, Lord, and you'll respond with, know me. Okay. Wow, you guys are awesome. Picked up on that quickly. So let's pray together um, and uh, let's just spend some time uh, with God. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Oh God, may your spirit be with us today. Remind us in this moment of prayer that in Jesus, you have shown us that we are beloved. So may we spend a few moments remembering how deeply your love is for us. You have searched me, Lord. Oh, God, we are a people of many illusions and many masks. Give us.
clarity or the different sorts of illusions that we have crafted this last week so that others would think certain things of us that may be more or less true. Give us clarity of vision. You have searched me, Lord. Oh God, we desire to be a people of love and yet too easily we treat others as objects so that we can get what we want. You know the way that we feel and act and think about the others in our lives. You know the depths of our love and the places that we are lacking. We are who we are before you. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. And yet, knowing me, you love me. Having searched me, you still call me to yourself. Knowing my desperate need for control and knowing how much of an illusion it is. You still call me to be a part of your family and your kingdom and your mission in the world. Oh God, teach me the depth of your love. Teach me the rich fullness of the love that is in Jesus. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. May all God's people say. Amen.